was such an honor to be able to teach the word of God to you today. Pastor Craig is a very brave man. He gave a microphone to a worship leader and told him to do something other than sing. So kudos to you, brother, for being brave. Listen, I just wanna say thank you so much. Thank you so much for embracing me as one of your worship leaders here. Thank you for embracing my family. I, it's just so awesome and wonderful to see you guys out in the community, at the beach, in the woods, downtown, walking by my house. Central Wesleyan is everywhere. You all are everywhere. And it's just wonderful when you come up and say, hey, we just love you and thanks for joining our congregation and it's just a blessing to do so. I also wanna say a huge thank you. This church really prayed for us, Catherine and I, when we went through such an incredibly scary moment. Just a few months ago, um, when our youngest was due to be born, one night my wife began heavily bleeding and I, I had to rush her to the hospital that night and they were concerned for my wife's life. They were also concerned for the life of the baby and they rushed her into the hospital and they put her in a room and they put the ultrasound on her and the baby was there but they couldn't find a heartbeat. They were really concerned, couldn't find a heartbeat. She was still lifeless, she wasn't moving and all the previous ultrasounds we had seen our baby was active and moving around and they could always find the heartbeat right away. There was no heartbeat, or at least they couldn't find one. And of course, in that moment, just fear just hit our hearts. But I, I had texted some of the staff, Micah, Mike, Craig, and said, hey, this is what's going on. And, and many of you were, were Facebooking and emailing and texting saying, we're praying, we're standing with you. So in that moment, I just look over at my wife and, and as I look at this screen, of my child not moving, the thought hit my mind, I'm looking at my dead daughter. Just had that thought that, and all the fear that goes along with that, and how am I gonna tell my children? How am I gonna tell the world? How am I gonna, how, how are we gonna handle this? How is my wife gonna handle this? And Catherine mouthed the words to me, just when all the doctors were in there, it was pretty tense. The nurses came over to begin to comfort her. She was crying, and the nurses were, were um, also pretty upset. And she mouthed the words to me, she said, just pray. Just pray, and we just begin to pray, and, and moments later, they could find the heartbeat, and the baby began to move. So our little girl's doing well, and I just wanna say thank you for being a praying church, because we really sensed your prayers during that, and this is our little girl here, if you haven't had a chance to see her. She's doing very well. So now I've shown a picture of a cute baby, so I can say anything I want. Hey, listen, I wanna invite the team to pass out the Bible. So if you need a copy of the scripture and you wanna read along with us, just lift up your hand real high and our awesome team will, will get you a copy of the Bible. Some hands over here. Thanks, guys. And, and listen, we, we started a, a worship series last week. Pastor Craig did a phenomenal job opening us up and talking and teaching about the presence of God. Last weekend in both services, there was such a strong awareness of God's presence. And, and if you were at the second service last week, you know that we spent moments around these altars up here just in the presence of God as some people were weeping and praying. And what, what just, probably the moment that just touched my heart the most was a, a young a couple, I'll say young couple, but an older couple from the back who made their way up front weeping as they come. People that are probably 70, 80 years old, just weeping as they come, broken before the Lord. Such a hungry heart for the Lord. So Pastor Craig did a phenomenal job opening up this series on worship, and I believe God is doing something special. Today, we're gonna jump into this scripture, and I wanna just take a little snippet from the life of David. So we're gonna read together from 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. 
And it says, during harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. It's a little interesting story from David's life. In fact, the story comes at the end of David's life. We're told in the earlier verses in chapter, chapter 23 here of 2 Samuel that David is actually on his deathbed. And he's gathered his mighty men, his warriors, his bros to be around him. And they start telling stories about the good old days. And his three top guys, their names were Josheb, Eliezer, and Shema. And they start telling these amazing, incredible, epic stories about these guys. What was said about Joseph, Joseph actually defeated an army of 800 men with just him and a spear. Eliezer, it was said of him that he fought so hard in battle that his hand froze to the sword. And Shema, he made a one-man stand against an entire army and lived to tell about it. These guys were the thrill seekers of their day. These were the tough guys of their day. These are MMA fighters times a thousand. Adrenaline junkies, superheroes of their day. These are the stories that epic movies are made of. In fact, it reminds me of my favorite movie, three main characters. Uh, remember these guys, The Lord of the Rings? Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. I had to remember that one for a second. But you know what, maybe you didn't connect with Lord of the Rings, maybe you're not a nerd like my wife and I. We love these stories. Maybe you could connect with these guys right here. I love how Steve has a big smile on his face as he's shooting arrows at you. It's kind of how he preaches, you know? He's shooting arrows at us and he's smiling. But this is an amazing story because these three guys are gathered around David's deathbed. They're telling stories of the good old days and they kind of look at each other and they say, remember the time. Remember the time that David was in the cave and he cries out, I want some water from Bethlehem. Remember the time, guys, that we just kind of looked at each other, shrugged our shoulders, and we broke through the lines, we got him the water, he brought it back, and he dumped it out before the Lord. Now, if that were me, if I had risked my life to get David a cup of water and he just poured it out in front of me, I'd be like, what in the world are you doing, David? I just risked my life to bring this water for you. The least you could do is let me watch you enjoy it but he doesn't do it, he pours it out before the Lord. But what we need to understand today, guys, is that David was not being rude, he was doing something very specific, intentional, and beautiful. David was offering what was known as a drink offering to the Lord. The time of David, the way you worshiped Yahweh, creator God, was to bring offerings to him, and we, we hear all about the burnt offerings and the animal sacrifices, but there was another offering that was commanded in the book of Leviticus to go along with the burnt offerings, and it was called the drink offering. The drink offering was a common gift of a drink, usually wine poured out to the Lord as an offering. But a few things today that I want us to understand about the drink offering and, and be able to apply it to our lives, our worship lives, both corporately and individually today. 
First, I want you to understand simply that the drink offering was an act of worship. It was an act of worship for all of our main characters in this drama. It was an act of worship first for Joseph, Eliezer, and Shema. Joseph, Eliezer, and Shema decided to break through the enemy lines to get this water and give it to David, and David poured it out. But what if Joseph, Eliezer, and Shema did not do it for David? What if they did it as an act of worship before the Lord? Now, if they had done it as an act of worship before the Lord, it didn't matter what David would do with it, right? They did their part, they offered their worship, and the rest was up to David. Listen, I believe if everything that we could do in life and ministry we view as an act of worship and offering to the Lord, then it doesn't matter if they pour it out or not. Think about if we could bring this concept of worship, of an entire lifestyle of worship to everything we do, how would it change our parenting? I talked to a staff member just a few weeks ago and he was sharing how he does devotions with his young children every day. That's a brave man. Devotions with his young children every day. And I think that is to be applauded and honored, but he said, you know, I do devotions with my children every day and I just don't think they're getting it. Brothers pulling on sister's ear. You know, they're doing all the things that kids do. I'm just not sure they're getting it. But, if, but what he's doing as a dad is he's offering that to the Lord. That's his service of worship to the Lord. So it doesn't matter in a sense what his kids do with it, right? Now we know that God is doing something there. We know that as that dad speaks that into the lives, it's gonna grow and it's gonna bear fruit. We know that. But how would it change our jobs, what we bring to our jobs? Now, I certainly don't. I have amazing people that are over me, bosses. I have amazing bosses. But some folks find themselves in a position where they're working for someone who's difficult. They're working for someone who is harsh and hard. What if we could bring what we do at work, not for our bosses, thumbs up or thumbs down, but for the Lord? How would that change what we do and what we bring in our marriages? Well, how would that change? What if we said, I'm going to love my spouse regardless of whether he or she loves me back. I'm gonna do that as an offering to the Lord. How would that change our marriages? See, I believe living a life poured out to God will radically shift our focus from what can I get out of life to what can I pour myself out for in this life. And so the giving of this cup of water to David for Joseph, Eliezer, and Shema was an act of worship. And it didn't matter if David poured it out or drank it. But we also need to understand the other side of this, this drink offering was also an act of worship for David. David, in terms of all of the characters in the Old Testament, David was probably the most extravagant worshiper. Consider these words that he wrote in Psalm 63, verse one. Just listen to the language here. Listen to the heart intent of what David is saying to God in Psalm 63, verse one. He writes, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Look at the language here, guys earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. He's likening his thirst for God as if he was in a desert where there was no water. That is full of raw and passionate emotion. See, David wasn't sitting down just writing correct theology. He was writing correct theology, but that wasn't his intent. It was a raw and desperate heart cry for God. See, I, I would submit to you today that everything Everything good in our lives be, begins with a raw and a desperate 
heart cry for God. Those of us that are in ministry, those of you that have any kind of ministry at all, and I believe probably all of you do to some extent, those of you that have a ministry, have a passion, it probably didn't start with some kind of mental idea. Well, I think this is a good idea. There was probably something that moved your heart. It moved you into helping other people. That moved you into going to the mission field. That moved you into going to the mission house. Think about those of us that call ourselves saved, those of us that call ourselves Christian. I believe that probably for most of us in this room, it wasn't just a good idea. Well, that sounds like a good idea, so I'll agree with it. Probably for most of us in this room, the love of God was revealed to us. We were, it was revealed to us that we were sinners, that we needed a savior, and that the love of God was so real and powerful that we, at one point in our lives, said yes to Jesus. So I submit to you that all the good things in life begin with a heart cry. I want you to think about the most beloved songs of the church, those hymns and songs that have last for, lasted for ages. When they were first written, they weren't written to be great hymns of the faith, they were the heart cry of a worshiper. Some of you are gonna know where I'm going with this, but there was a man named John Newton who lived in the 1700s and he had the most vile and wicked and terrible job that anyone could have. He trafficked human beings. He was a slave ship in the 1700s taking slaves from Africa and selling them in Great Britain. One day, John Newton got a revelation of the love of God. He got a revelation of the holiness of God and he turned to the Lord and he forsook his old way of life, but he carried with him the weight of what he had done. And in his loving way, as, as Jesus began to minister to him, as the Spirit of God began to grow in him, he understood and began to understand that his sin indeed was washed away. And out of that experience, he writes these now famous words that you all know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. John Newton was not a man trying to write a great hymn of the faith. He was a man writing about his encounter with the living Jesus. As, as our own pastor, Pastor Craig Reese, has said, one of the many things that I love that he said is contemporary worship is the singing of songs about God, what God is doing right now in our midst. You never know what your worship is doing for someone else. John Newton would not have believed that his song would have lasted 100 year, uh, hundreds of years. He was just a sinner that had been saved by grace and wanted to explain and exclaim his heart to the Lord. I remember Vivka, Pastor Craig's wife, sharing a story once about how she came into faith and part of that journey was she attended a church in Arizona and in that church she saw a man standing in the front with his hands lifted up just passionately worshiping the Lord and she explained how that image of that man stayed with her and led her to faith. That was part of what led her to faith in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of my own story. I, uh, my father, who's here in the front row, he, in the third row back, rather, my father is here, he pastored a small church in a little tiny town called Peck, Michigan. Anybody ever hear of Peck, Michigan? You did, all right. Peck, three of you, three of you have heard of Peck, Michigan. And that's because it's one of the smallest towns in Michigan, in the thumb. And on a good Sunday, we would have, you know, 20, 30 people. Beautiful little town in the cornfields of the thumb of Michigan. We had Sunday night church back then. 
remember Sunday night church for those of you that've been around for a while. And sometimes we would start the song service, we'd start singing and worshiping, and there just seemed to be a, an extra strong awareness of God's presence, kind of like in this place last weekend and during second service during this altar time. There was just a special awareness of God's presence and nobody wanted to stop singing. And the songs would go on and on and on because they didn't wanna stop. They didn't wanna lose that sense of God's presence. And I was about five years old at the time and I remember on those Sunday night services, I would often just fall asleep in the back, in the back pew. Tiny little, tiny little sanctuary that's smaller than this stage. And I remember this one particular Sunday night that was one of those nights where the singing just went on and on and on and there was just a sense of God's warmth, of the, if I could say this, the glow of the presence of God, the anon of God, the non cloud of God, as Craig taught us last week, was in the place. And they began, they kept singing and singing. I remember waking up, because I had fallen asleep underneath a pew, just like one of these pews, and I, I, had, I woke up and I saw a man standing over me, I don't remember his name, but he was wearing a three-piece suit. Remember the days of three-piece suits in church? I almost wore one today, but I didn't want to shock you. I'm just kidding, I don't even own one, so. But I remember a man standing there with a three-piece suit. He had half of a communion wafer in one hand and he had half of a communion, had drank half of a small communion cup in the other. And the thing that, I, that stuck with me was that there seemed to be an endless flow of tears just flowing down this man's face. And the, the look on his face was one of sheer joy, of delight, as if he was encountering something so good that he had no words to describe what it was, and as soon as I saw that man's face, I said to myself, my little five-year-old heart, I said, God must be real, and he must be good. So you never know what your worship is doing. Just last summer, I had the opportunity to go to Germany, and we were doing several services, and one of the things we were doing was a conference, and there were several refugees there from, from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, and Iraq, and I remember this one Pakistani refugee he, the night before, had been worshiping God. As we played the music, he was just leaping and dancing and twirling and just doing God knows what during the worship time. He was wild. And I remember seeing him the next day and he just had this look of absolute joy and delight on his face. Just an absolute look of joy and delight. And I walked up to him and I, I said, man, you sure are happy today. And he gave me this look like, what do, you, what do you mean? You should know why I'm happy. Brother, he said, Jesus has forgiven my sins. Now this man had nothing. In terms of this world, he had nothing. He had no place to live. He was staying in refugee housing. He had not a penny to his name that I know of, yet he was experiencing so much joy and delight in God's presence that encouraged even me. This is why I believe a culture of passionate worship is so necessary to the church because it speaks to the kind of God we are worshiping. It shows that in God we find the only place of true fulfillment for the human soul. It was four years ago that, we, that, that our son Eli was born and my wife had been laboring all day and Towards the end of her labor, we were, we were ready for him to come and, and things, some traumatic things started happening with, with him. And so the surgeon said, hey, listen, we need to just get him out. We need to go into emergency C-section. So we quickly wheel my wife into the operating room and I got to come in there too and they begin to feverishly work quickly to get this baby out so that no 
damage would be done to him. And I just remember as soon as he came out, he just let out the biggest scream that I think I've ever heard him scream. I mean, it was loud. I thought this kid's gonna be a preacher or, or something. And he was so loud, he was screaming, and they, were mo they moved him over to the crib to kind of clean him off where four or five nurses were around him just suctioning him off and scrubbing him down and do all the things that they do to get him ready. And the whole time, he's got his little hands up in the air. You know, they can't really control their hands very well. He's got his little hands up in the air and he is just screaming, just filling up the whole room with the sound of his scream. And there was all these other noises too, like the, the, the beeps of hospital equipment and people rushing and moving and all these things that he was unfamiliar with. And I couldn't wait to get over to him. And finally the nurse said, dad, you can come on over. And he's just screaming and shouting and yelling. And I walk over there and I kid you not, I just, I, I look down at him and I say, hello, son. And in mid-scream, he just stops, quiets right down. He grabs a hold of my thumb. He looks deep in my eyes and was quiet for many, many, many moments. That was one of the most amazing moments of my life. See, Eli, when he came out, he was looking for something familiar. He was hearing all these other noises. He was in the midst of chaos, and he needed to hear a familiar voice of his father. And if I could just get prophetic here for just a few seconds, there may be some of us in this room, you're in a place of chaos. There's a place of noise. There's other voices trying to come in. There's other noises happening. You feel like you're in chaos. I wanna tell you that the voice of your father is here to tell you everything is going to be okay. See, when we cry out to God in worship, when we sense that yearning, we are reminded that we are the children of God and there is no place like being at home in his presence. The next thing I want you to know about the drink offering this morning is that the drink offering is a lesson about worth. As I mentioned before, the drink offering was usually offered as a cup of wine. Wine is one of the most expensive drinks that money can buy. There are bottles of wine for sale on this planet that cost upwards of $225,000. If you went to Burns Steakhouse in Tampa, Florida and you had a whole bunch of money burning the hole in your pocket, you could go there and order a bottle of wine that would cost $30,000. Can you imagine the tip on that bill? You just made your waiter's day. No thanks, I'll just have a Coke with free refills. The drink offering was supposed to be costly. This is exactly why David would not drink the water given to him by Joshua, Eliezer, and Shema. He poured it out. Let's look at this verse again from the scripture. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines. They drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their own lives and David would not drink it? See, the reason why he wouldn't drink it is that David realized how expensive that cup of water really was. It represented the lives of his friends. Were he to drink that water, he would be saying, Joseph, Eliezer, and Shema, you're just, your lives are just worth a little cup of water. He held something so valuable, he knew that he could not take it for himself. He knew that something so valuable must be poured out before the Lord as a drink offering. And actually, the drink offering shows up several times in the New Testament. It doesn't just stay in the Old Testament. It, got, it carries through 
We see this in the language of Paul in Philippians 2, 17. Paul's at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul is at the end of his life, and he says this to the Philippians, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. See, Paul, being a Pharisee, would have understood the drink offering well. He certainly would have been in temple worship offering that drink offering to the Lord. But now, after meeting Jesus and at the end of his life, he understood that the drink offering was never about pouring out wine or any other drink, that the drink offering was all about a life being poured out in service and sacrifice to God. See, the drink offering in the new covenant actually becomes costlier than in the old covenant. And nowhere do we see this more than when we see Jesus himself taking the drink offering. When Jesus inaugurates the new covenant, he does so in the context of a drink offering. Let's look at this in Matthew 26, 27. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Church, this would be the most expensive drink offering ever given. Jesus, because of his love for you and I, says I will take this drink offering and I will pour it out. Think about the garden, the night before he's crucified. He's wrestling in prayer. And what does he say? He says, Father, if it's possible, let this what? Cup pass from me. Let this cup pass me. In other words, I don't know, Father, if it's possible, any other way, does it have to be this drink offering? But then he says, nevertheless, whatever you will, I will do. Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he brings a drink offering to the Lord and he bears all of our physical, emotional, and spiritual pain as he suffers under intense physical torment all the while bearing our sin and shame and bondage on the cross. Just as David poured out the offering of water from Joshua, Eliezer, and Shammah to show the worth of the men who gave him the drink, remember, he poured that out to say, listen, my friends' lives are worth more than this. Jesus took the drink offering and offered it to God on our behalf to show the worth of the ones he was dying for. The most costly, the most expensive, the most precious thing that has ever hit this planet is the blood of the Son of God. And he says, humanity is worth my blood. That's what God thinks of you. Kind of makes you think differently of the person sitting next to you that God says they were worth the blood of his son. Makes you think differently about the person you're married to. God thinks they're worth the blood of his son. Makes you think differently about that little lady who messed up your order at KFC. God thinks she's worth the blood of his son. So listen, next time you feel less than or worthless or invisible, you just look at the cross and remember that Jesus poured out everything for you to show how much you mean to him. Next thing I want you to understand is that the drink offering was all or nothing. When David received that cup of water, I'm actually gonna drink this because I'm thirsty, so I hope this came from a really good source. I have no idea. And I did what David did not do. When he got this drink of water, he took it and he poured it out before the Lord. And it's not coming back. It's not coming back. You can't get it back. It's gone. Jesus did the same thing with his drink offering to the Lord. He poured it out for you and I, and it's not coming back. It's all or nothing. As we close today, I want to 
hear about another drink offering of an ordinary unknown woman who poured out every aspect of her life in one beautiful, extravagant act of worship. We're gonna read the story from the Gospels. And this story is contained in all four of the Gospels. So this was a central theme that Jesus wanted to get across. This is a central theme that the disciples would have been deeply impacted by and taken through their whole lives. And each of them, all four of the Gospel writers, this story is contained. So this story has a lot to say to us. We're gonna read this out of Luke. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the, Pharisees who had invited, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them do you think will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. What an incredible story of an extravagant act of worship. Let me tell you a little bit about this woman. She's unnamed by three of the four gospel writers. John is the only one who names her, and he says that her name is Mary from a town called Bethany. Bethany, consequently, is not too far from Bethlehem and the offering of our three heroes, Joseph, Eliezer, and Shema. See, Joseph, Eliezer, and Shema, they broke through enemy lines to offer their offering. This woman broke through alabaster jars. Scripture says that this alabaster jar, the oil inside, was worth a year's wages a year's wages. For a woman in the first century to pour out that kind of wealth on the feet of Jesus, what is she saying? She's saying, I trust you with my future. I trust you with my future. Some, I know there's a lot of young folks in here that are getting ready to go to college or maybe you're going into your last year of high school and you have all these questions about your life. What's my future gonna be like? Where am I gonna go to school? What kind of job am I gonna have? Who am I gonna marry? The best thing that you can do, the most amazing thing you can give to Jesus is to pour your future out on his feet and say, Jesus, I trust you. The other gospel writers chose not to name this woman, and Luke, the one that we just read, simply describes her as a woman who had lived a sinful life. In the book of John, we find out that this woman had seven demons that Jesus had cast out of her. Now, I don't know what kind of lifestyle you have to have to have seven demons in you, but I bet it's not pretty. She was known and had a reputation of being a sinful woman and she comes into this room full of religious leaders, full of people at the center of society as a marginalized woman comes into this room and offers an extravagant offering of worship to Jesus. So much so 
that Simon the Pharisee scoffs at Jesus and turns up his nose at the sinful woman who's slobbering all over the feet of Jesus and judges Jesus in his heart. And he says, if he was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. But this is a remarkable and unusual thing and strange thing for Simon to do, why? Here's some background on Simon. Luke tells us that Simon was a Pharisee, but in Mark's gospel of this same account, we find out that Simon is also known as Simon the leper. Which one was he? Was he a Pharisee, teacher of the law, clergyman, politician, or was he a leper? Most scholars believe that this is a man who was a leper, but had been healed by Jesus. He, so that he could continue his work as a Pharisee and have dinner parties at his house. So he was a man that it was at one point marginalized. He would have been pushed off into um, cities that were just made for lepers. And even when he came into town, he would have had to yell to all the people to hear, unclean, unclean. One day, Simon met Jesus. And Jesus does what he does. He healed him as a leper. So he was able to go back and become a Pharisee. He was also able to host dinner parties at his house, but here is the problem. Simon forgot that he was a recipient of mercy. Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? He asked him, do you see this woman? Because Simon really did not see this woman. Sure, with his physical eyes, he saw, oh, there's a sinful woman slobbering all over the feet of Jesus. How awkward, how strange, how weird. But if Simon really saw the woman, he would have seen himself because Simon was a recipient of great mercy. He was someone that had been delivered and set free by Jesus. But all he does is offer a little dinner party, giving him a little nod. He does not offer Jesus the customary kiss that you would receive if you walked into a Middle Eastern home in the first century, even today, when you walk into a Middle Eastern home, if they welcome you as a guest, they kiss you on either cheek. He does not receive the customary foot washing to get the dust off of his feet. In stark contrast to Simon, the woman comes in and brings a more extravagant gift. She goes beyond the customary and brings extravagance, pours out expensive oil on his feet. Emotion wells up inside of her as she realizes how much she's been delivered from, as she realizes what Jesus has done for her, and he, she does not just wash Jesus' feet with water, she actually produces tears to wash his feet. See, Simon was satisfied with God's blessing, God's handouts, but the woman would only be satisfied with God himself. Extravagant worshipers will not just settle for God's blessing. They will not just settle for God's handouts. They will only be satisfied with God himself. See, that woman came there not to celebrate that she had been healed. She came there to celebrate the healer. She came there not to get excited about her sins being forgiven. She came there to worship the one that had forgiven her sins. She came there not to get, a, to get all ecstatic about chains being broken in her life. She became ecstatic about the chain breaker. She was an extravagant worshiper, and not even death could hold her back from worshiping Jesus. When just one week later, Mary of Bethany, John tells us, comes again to anoint the body of Jesus, but this time she comes to the tomb. Maybe with the same alabaster jar, maybe with the same intent to worship, See, all of her hope, all of her future had been wrapped up in Jesus. Now he was dead, but she wasn't even gonna let that stop her devotion. And she shows up at the tomb and she hears some of the most beautiful words that have ever been uttered on the face of this earth. Jesus is not here, he 
is risen. And it was her that had the privilege of taking this beautiful message back to the disciples to say, guys, this is more than we hoped, more than we dreamed. Jesus is not just the Messiah of Israel. Turns out he's Lord of all, and even death has to obey him. He is risen from the dead. It was her that brought the message. It was her that brought the spark that started the fire that ignited a massive move of the kingdom of heaven that is still happening today. It was her, and it all began with an extravagant devotion to Jesus in worship. Church, I really believe that the proclamation of the risen Jesus should accompany extravagant and passionate worship because it's a response to the extravagant and passionate gift of God to us through Jesus. Because Jesus poured himself out so extravagantly for us, we can do the same. I wanna invite the band to come up and we're gonna enter into a time of worship. As we do that, I wanna offer one more thought for you. Now the drink offering is in our hands. Not the physical pouring out of liquid in the presence of the Lord, that is all done away with. On this side of the cross, it is a devotion of an entire life consumed with who God is. And God reveals to himself to us through his son, Jesus. The offering is about lives being poured out to God. So where in our lives can we bring a more extravagant gift of worship? Where in our lives can we bring something that is extravagant, something that is expensive, something that costs us something? I love the verse, Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse one, says this, in full view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice. In other words, look at the mercy of God, and because of that mercy, because of that extravagance, you can now present yourself fully to God. Maybe for you, maybe for some of us in this room, the drink offering looks like bringing our best to him at a church service here. Maybe for some of us in this room, You're the first to lift your hand, you're the first to stand, you're the first to shout, but you are holding something back behind your back from him. If your life is a 20 ounce cup, maybe three ounces, you just don't wanna give up. It could be just fully surrendering your finances to the Lord, it could be sexual purity, it could be a critical spirit that you just don't wanna let go of. For some of us, it may mean that we see that we are recipients of mercy and we start to act accordingly. Maybe for some of us, it means that, you know what, you know you put your faith in Jesus, but you've never made that public confession of faith through baptism and you, for you, a drink offering would be to sign up for baptism that's happening next Sunday night at Holland State Park. Maybe for some of us, it's simply trudging through the sand at Holland State Park next Sunday night as we celebrate with those that are celebrating their rebirth in Jesus, or maybe, maybe we are waking up to how much worth Jesus really has. And we simply wanna pour out our adoration and our thankfulness to him in this moment of time. And I want you to invite that, I want to invite you to do that with us as we just sing a song together. I'm sure you want to join me in thanking Nate for showing uh, not just what's behind his heart, but what's behind the heart of every one of our worship art staff. What you heard today was what 
we are privileged on staff to hear each and every day that behind the music that you hear, many people come up and say, wow, they, you try and do everything with excellence. It's almost like going to a show. Folks, this is not a show. This is who they are. And I get the privilege of seeing this and hearing this day in and day out, week in and week out. And I really just sensed in a series on worship, it would not be right for you not to see the heart of the people that lead you. When they express, it's not for show. It's because it's exuberant joy because they've encountered the God of mercy and all, it's all that they can do to let that out. And I realize that we've got different people from different traditions here. I realized last week would have freaked some of you out that are from a reformed background and I talk about the Anand falling and, and Kelly Green comes up here and he says five times and it goes eight hours and 27 days and it freaks you out. Look, you can trust these folks, but I also want this to be a church that is based on realizing that when we gather together, we're about encountering a living God who's gonna say something to us about offering an expression of worship that is about far more than what we do in here for 75 or 80 minutes on a Sunday. It's about what we do out there. And you can trust these folks with that. But at the same time, let's be willing to pour everything out. Let's be willing to follow the example of that woman and David's three friends who were willing to do what God had told them to do as an act of worship and to leave the rest to him. And if some of you have just given so much to people and you feel disappointed by the response, then let the, the encouragement to you be today to know that God has seen it and God has taken what you've given as an act of worship and allow him to do the rest. Thank you so, from, uh, so much for worshiping with us today. I've got the privilege of continuing the series next week as we look at a, another passage of scripture. I do wanna remind you, Wednesday night is team night. If you're here and, and you're saying, hey, you know what? I wanna step, step up and get more involved. 6.30 here on Wednesday evening. For those of you that serve already in a different aspect of ministry, please join us. We have literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people serving every week. And all too often, we don't recognize how many people we're serving with and the contribution that our service is making. So join us for a celebration on Wednesday at 6.30. But until then, have a great week. Look forward to seeing you all Wednesday and next week. God bless you. And thanks again, guys.